Christ is risen, alleluia. He is risen indeed, alleluia. Happy Easter, everyone. Today, on the octave day of Easter, the eighth day after the resurrection, we continue to celebrate Christ's triumphant victory over death and his resurrection from the grave. I mean, that's without a doubt the most significant event in all of history. And it occurs to me that what Jesus chooses to do after this event is also very significant. And I think that's true for Jesus because it's true for us, right? The first thing that we do after a real significant milestone event in our lives is itself also significant because these these big events represent the start of a new chapter in our story and how we begin that chapter is an indication of how we wish to continue. So after marriage, the very first thing that the new bride and groom do is they share a kiss, which is very fitting. It's a traditional sign not just of affection, but also peace and unity, and it's a very fitting way to begin a marriage. Two years ago, after I was ordained to the diaconate, the very first thing that I did was I gave my wife and children each a blessing because it was important to me that I begin my life in ordained ministry by blessing my family as an assurance to them and a reminder to me that the first ones I'm called to minister to are are them. And so the first things that we do after these milestone events, they're indications of what is most important to us. I imagine right now a lot of people are thinking about the first thing that you want to do after this stay-at-home order is lifted and we can actually go out in public again. Right? What you choose to do will be an indication of what you value most about your freedom. Right? Will you travel again? Will you go and visit family or visit friends? Or will you come here to participate once more in the public celebration of the Mass? These are signs of what means the most to us. And that freedom that we'll enjoy then is just a very small thing compared to the freedom that we have now in Christ. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at the first things that Jesus chooses to do after the resurrection. Christ has borne the weight of our sins all the way to the grave and he has risen again victorious over death. Now what's the first thing that he does? Well, tradition says that the first person that he came to was his mother. That's why Mary wasn't at the tomb with the other women that first day of the week. Have you ever wondered about that? She wasn't there because she knew her son wasn't there. He had already appeared to her. And that's not written down in any of the Gospels, but as John says at the end of his Gospel, there's a lot that Jesus said and did that's not written down. So we don't know what Jesus said to her, And that's fine. That's as it should be. That was a private moment between a mother and her son, between a handmaid and her Lord. And no doubt Mary keeps that as a treasured memory in her heart. But Jesus' first public appearance after the resurrection was to the women who came to his tomb on that first Easter morning. And he appeared to them and he told them, do not be afraid. Those are his first public words after the resurrection. Do not be afraid. I think that's significant. The first thing that Jesus wants those who love him to know 
after the resurrection is that there is no more reason to fear. I think we need to hear that message again today. And then one week later, on the Sunday after the resurrection, the Sunday that we're celebrating today, Christ appears to his apostles. And what are his first words to them? Peace be with you. He gives them his peace, echoing those words that he said to the women at the tomb. Do not be afraid. But then he does something else. He tells them, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. First he gives them peace, and then he gives them a mission. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. The mission that the Father gave to me, now I'm giving you that same mission. And what is that mission? John tells us earlier in his gospel, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. That's Christ's mission. And John tells us how it will happen. If you go back even earlier in John's gospel, to the beginning, John says, he gave them power to become children of God. Jesus saves us from eternal death by giving us a share in God's eternal life, by making us God's children. But to be children of God, we have to become like God. As a child is like his parents. And that means purging ourselves of anything ungodly. To be children of God means that we have to be holy as God is holy. And so to be freed from death, we need to be freed from that root cause of death, which is sin. Jesus saves us by freeing us from sin. This is the heart of the gospel. Jesus saves us from our sin. Even while he was still in the womb, the angel Gabriel appeared to Joseph and said, you are to name him Jesus because he will save people from their sins. That's what his name means, Yeshua. It means Yahweh saves. Jesus saves us from sins. That's why he was sent by the Father. And now here he is. He's standing before the apostles. He's standing with those who were with him at the Last Supper those with whom he established that new and eternal covenant, he's standing before them and he says, as the Father has sent me to save people from their sins, so I send you. So I send you. And then he breathes on them, just like God breathed life into Adam at the beginning. And he says, receive the Holy Spirit whose sins you forgive are forgiven them and whose sins you retain are retained. He gives them his mission, and he gives them his authority to forgive sins. People ask sometimes why Catholics confess our sins to a priest, why we think that some mere man in a Roman collar has the authority to forgive us our sins. And the answer is because Jesus said so. He says so right here. 
whose sins you forgive are forgiven them. The church didn't invent the sacrament of confession. Sure, we came up with a ritual that we have that accompanies it, but Jesus gave us the sacrament. He gives the church the authority to forgive sins. And more than that, he gives them the mission to forgive sins, the mandate to forgive sins. That's why we have a church, to carry out Christ's mission. And that's a rescue mission. It's a mission of salvation. Because God didn't create us for death, brothers and sisters, but for life. And sin gets in the way of that. It separates us from the source of our life. It causes death. And so we need to be free from sin to have life. We can't be one with God and remain in sin. We just can't. God and sin are incompatible. We're either in our sin or we're in Christ. We can't be both. We can't have it both ways. So it's important that we understand what our salvation means. Christ saves us by freeing us from sin. He doesn't free us to sin. Sometimes we get the wrong idea about this. I know some Christians have the wrong idea about this, right? thinking that because Christ has paid the price for our sins, then our sins don't matter anymore. That so long as I have faith in Christ, I can continue to sin, and that's okay because Christ forgives me. He's already paid the price for my sins. And that way of thinking has just enough truth in it to be dangerous. And in many ways, it's even more dangerous than not believing in Christ at all. And I say that because a sinner who doesn't believe in Christ at least might recognize that he needs help. He just doesn't know where to find that help. But he's open to conversion. But a Christian who continues to persist in sin while presuming upon Christ's mercy doesn't think he needs help. And that's dangerous. That will be his damnation because there is no greater obstacle to to mercy than the refusal to ask for help. We need help. Christ came to free us from sin. That's his mission. When the Jewish authorities stood ready to condemn that woman caught in adultery, Jesus didn't condemn her for her sins. He didn't need to. By her sins, she had already condemned herself. Instead, he forgave her. And he told her, go and sin no more. He rescued her, but not from the Sanhedrin. That's not what she needed saving from. They may have wanted to kill her body, but her sin was killing her soul. It was her sin that was killing her. And Christ rescued her by freeing her from her sin. And so for her to have gone back to a life of sin after that would have been a rejection of God's mercy. Jesus' mission of salvation is the mission of the church. It's the church's mandate from God to free people from their sins, to make it possible for them to share in God's divine life. So we don't condemn people for their sins. We don't need to. It's our sins that condemn us, if we remain in them. Instead, the church offers freedom, saying, peace be with you, and do not be afraid. It's the church's mission to offer help. And we need that help to remain free from our sin. Because one moment of conversion is not enough. We know this from our experience. 
One moment of forgiveness doesn't save us from all of our future struggles. We need ongoing help throughout our lives to persevere in this freedom that we have in Christ. And that's why, unlike baptism that we receive only once, we can come to confession again and again as often as we need that sacrament of mercy to restore us to divine life because we need help. We need help, and Jesus knows it. That's what mercy means. It doesn't just mean forgiveness. It means help. In fact, there's another way of translating Yeshua other than Yahweh saves. Some translations, it's Yahweh helps. Yahweh helps. So God doesn't just forgive our sins once and then expect us to live perfectly all on our own because he knows we can't. We're not supposed to. We're not meant to. We can't be holy without God. And so he sends us help. He sends us his son. And his son sends the church as ministers of divine mercy. Help is here if you want it. All you have to do is ask. But you have to ask. You have to pray, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. Because God doesn't force his help on anyone. He's too much of a gentleman. He's got too much respect for us to intrude where he's not wanted. He doesn't break down the door of our heart. What do the scriptures say? He stands outside the door and he knocks. He's waiting for us to open to him. This is the message of Divine Mercy Sunday. Help is available in Christ if we ask for it. Praise God, we have wonderful access to the sacrament of confession here at St. Mary's because we have a pastor who's able to offer that sacrament to us even in this time of social isolation. Some people are not that blessed. Some people are finding themselves in this time without access to the sacrament. Help is available. Mercy is available to everyone. If you're not able to come to the sacrament, make an act of contrition. Give your heart to God in prayer. Make a firm resolution to go to the sacrament and take advantage of it the next time you have that opportunity. But no one should despair of God's mercy in this time. It's available to all those who ask. Pope St. John Paul II instituted this feast 20 years ago during the canonization of St. Maria Faustina Kowalska, that Polish nun whose visions of Christ in the 1930s gave rise to the modern devotion to the divine mercy. And in his first appearance to her, Jesus told Sister Faustina, my daughter, tell the whole world about my inconceivable mercy. Let no soul fear to draw near to me, even though its sins be as scarlet. My mercy is so great that no mind, be it of man or of angel, will be able to fathom it throughout all eternity. It is my desire that the Feast of Mercy be solemnly celebrated on the first Sunday after Easter. Mankind will not have peace until it turns to the fount of my mercy. So even though Christ's mercy is available to us at all times, he asked for it to be celebrated in a special way today, on the Sunday after Easter on that day when he first appeared to the apostles to send them on their mission of mercy. So let us today remember Christ's first message to the church after his victory over sin and death. 
Do not be afraid. Be at peace. We have no reason to fear who trust in Christ. The wellspring of God's mercy has been poured out upon us, flowing from the wounds of our Savior. Let's draw near to the source of that divine mercy and drink deeply from that inexhaustible well.